Attention to roll call. Welcome to the 265 Police Live Series. Brought to you by the New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. The mission of this podcast is to provide expert analysis of past and present law enforcement related events with a trained eye. Listen to the boots on the ground weigh in on the court of public opinion. What's up, everybody? How you doing? Um, John, did you get to see this video? It woke me up about four in the morning. Uh, a couple of guys sent me this video. I, I was getting up early anyway because I was ready to do jujitsu at six in the morning. But uh, at four in the morning, I got this video. And we all get these videos, and it makes our blood boil, especially as cops when we see these type of videos. Uh, this one in particular is actually in transit. It's in the subway station. And there's two cops, and they're pursuing a male black. I don't know what the background is, why they place him under arrest, but clearly they were trying to place him in cuffs. And everything goes wrong. D- did you see this video? It's, it's in Brooklyn, in, in 36, uh, 36th Street, which yeah. is uh, 72 Precinct. Yeah, Sunset, Brooklyn, uh, the police. Uh, Sunset, yeah, it's the 72 Precinct. It's Transit District 34, I believe. Um, and it, oh, that's all I saw. I saw a male black come running out of a train car, two cops pursuing, and they end up on the stairs. Um, that video popped out last night. I'm not 100% that it was from last night. But, yeah, it was, it was horrific. You wanna, do you want to you you get into it a little bit? Uh, listen, I hate to laugh, but. You know, this is what I've been talking about for the longest time. Particularly when you and I spoke the other day, and I really put an emphasis on there's a thousand things going on in an eighth of a second. And when I watch this video, I say to myself, is the public seeing what I'm seeing? Because if you're not, I would love to just piece by piece depict this video and tell you what I see. And, and I tell you, just watching it, I feel... I feel what some of these guys feel. And I can tell you this. I've been telling my guys and girls for the longest time. And I learned this back in the Marine Corps when I served in Iraq. Do you know the difference? John, I don't know if you know. You know what's the difference between the hero and the coward and what they feel when they're in a, a dire situation like yeah, this? Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the hero is just as afraid as the coward, but the hero acts and the, and the coward runs. Like, that's it, you know? That's exactly 100%. And I watched this video. In addition to that, it's really reflective of what we're talking about, how I like to train the public and educate them that a lot of times the perception is, hey, look how many cops are dealing with one person. And I read some of these comments, and one of the comments really resonated with me was too many cops are one person. But again, I just want to reiterate to the public, you think it's one person, but this is one entire incident. we got a crowd of people. We're in a subway, platforms. I mean, anything could go wrong. But I watched this video, and it starts out, there's a male black. He's running out of the subway station. He has no shirt on. So immediately, without knowing why they're trying to play him under, place him under arrest, that speaks volumes to me. I mean, from your experience, you and I know. What does that mean to you? He took his shirt off because he did something, and he didn't want to be identified. You know, So like, normally when someone commits a crime – They'll try to camouflage themselves some way, you know, somehow change their shirt, take their hat off, put a hat on, take their shirt off. You know, it, it's it's it's, you know, but I, 
I'm, I won't even make that judgment right there, but just the fact that he's running away from two cops shirtless could have been they could have been chasing after him and pulling on uh, uh, on his shirt as well. But to me, that's always a, a clear sign of camouflaging. You're trying to, you're trying not to be identified for whatever the hell crime you just committed. I'm not a betting man, but if I had to place a bet on this particular one, and I've seen this a thousand times, I'm confident that he probably had a hoodie or some other shirt, and the cops were fighting with him, and he took that shirt off for escape purposes. I mean, that's that's speaks volumes. That's exactly what I say. And here you go; they're pursuing him, and they get to the stairs. And to me, this is where everything goes wrong. And and I'm not trying to knock my fellow. Uh, brothers in blue but that's why i want to support them clearly they need more training now i always say there's two types of cops when it comes to use of force that just blatantly goes wrong you got the one cop that is is terrified of the climate and they hold back but they have the training and then there's part two and 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 unfortunately i think these particular cops fall into the second part and they just legitimately Timid and scared. And a lot of times, I, I, I don't know how much time they have on the job. We're hiring these guys that are meek, timid, and docile. And I understand that. And, and I think that's done by design so that they don't engage people. But what I can tell you is this. That may be the case, but these guys need training. We all need to be pressure tested. And clearly, even in a place as the 72 precinct, which is busy, and they probably have the volume with interacting with people. I don't think these cops have been pressure tested and really engaged people. I've watched this particular video and there you go. The first cop makes physical contact and he grabs onto the guy's leg, almost like a little kid would grab onto your leg, like a child. When you would play the game, they would hold onto your leg and you would kind of drag them. And that's pretty much what it looks like. And then I watched the partner. Do you see the partner? <laughs> yeah. So, the, so, so again, I just want to preface it with what Eric's saying. Listen, we're not here to beat up anybody. We're both cops. We both were in thousands of arrest situations. We did it for 18 years. We're going to talk about things that nobody's talking about, that the, the public's not talking about, the news media is not talking about, the job is too afraid to talk about. And we're going to break down situations and scenarios and news stories from trained eye from a trained eye, from what we're seeing, from the stuff we would tell you when we got back to the precinct or even right there on the scene when the perp got off the scene. All the stuff to keep you guys safe, to do anything. And I'll tell you right now, that video was awful. Anything could have went wrong. If that dude would have had a knife in his pocket, he would have stabbed the guy's partner in the face. You see, they run, they get to the they get to the staircase. The one partner gets down to the... Um, to the perpetrator's uh, right leg and holds on to his right leg while the partner just stands there with his handcuffs out, asking to handcuff the guy. And then you see the perpetrator just throw open punches, open, open left-hand punches at, at, at the, the, at the cop who's right, just has his legs, just has his arms wrapped around his right leg. He's just throwing left-hand punches and the partner again, doesn't react. And again, I don't know, like just, I don't know if we went into it, but we're on a train platform. We're on a staircase. Somebody goes backwards on the staircase, they're going to snap their neck. Somebody goes backwards on a staircase and goes off of that train platform, they're definitely going to snap their neck. Somebody goes off that staircase and back off that platform as a train is coming, they're dead. If somebody 
falls off that train platform and hits in to the hundreds of people that are on that subway platform, that innocent person who is just going home that day is dead. You know, um, death is imminent on a train platform. So the, the level of force used by these police officers should have been raised immediately. I don't even believe there was a level of force that they were at other than putting hands on the subject and holding on to him. So, Dim, if you want to break down just just actually what happens from the get-go. They, they get him up. They're up on the staircase. The one partner grabs the, the right leg of the, of the perpetrator. And his partner, what does his partner do now? Well, I'm glad you asked. So the, uh, the first police officer, the first cop that makes contact with this particular perpetrator grabs onto his leg. Just like I said, like a child. And I'm not blaming him. I just think it's a lack of training. This goes back to what we were talking about. The police department, when you reference the video of the actual training where the the perpetrator or person of interest is actually in a prone position and compliant. So, again, here we go. The cop is trained for the compliant person. And then on the opposite spectrum, our cops are prepared for the person who has the fire up. But this is the gripe I've had my entire career. Here we are in the middle. This is the part that I've been talking about, that the middle ground is where there's no training. There's no answer for this. We got the compliant person. We got the person on the right that has a firearm. But in the middle, the part where we're tussling, we're engaged into a violent struggle is where we're lacking in the training is inadequate. I think that it's possible maybe this cop here uh, maybe saw some videos and got an idea of what it is to, to perform a single leg because I think that's what he's trying to do, a single leg takedown, which is extremely effective. It's a takedown using wrestling. It's a takedown using jiu-jitsu. But the, the cop here, as I watch it, is not applying it properly. For one, his head is face down, so we can't see his adversary at this point. In addition to that, he has no awareness of, of his partner. And he's not capable of getting up on his feet and using his hips. So it, he's actually put himself in a vulnerable position, and he's getting struck by this adversary. And the adversary knows it. At some point, he, he kind of relaxes. His arms are hanging, and he's... Kind of t- he's talking to the, the partner, like, hey, listen, maybe you want to let your partner know that he's in a bad spot. It looked like he was kind of toying with them. And this is the part that's really perturbing to me. So if you remember, John, back in the police academy, we were taught, and I thought it was the most silly thing, that when you're going to handcuff someone, you take out your handcuffs, right, and you go to place them on your adversary or your perpetrated person of interest. Now, I've always had a problem with that, and I'll tell you why. Think about this. And this really goes to the public. And sometimes you ask yourself why it becomes a dance, why the cop is at an extreme vulnerable position at this point. And I'll tell you why. And this is why I had to re-engineer and I taught my personnel something completely different. And what I used to tell them is this. Don't ever take your handcuffs out of your case or out of your belt until you're ready. I'm sorry, not you're ready. Until your person of interest or perpetrator is ready to be cuffed. That means their hands are behind their back at that point, and they're subdued or they're compliant and they're ready to be handcuffed. And here's the reason why. Now, I'm a firm believer that when you're training and when you're in a situation of duress, that your gross motor skills are working, but your fine motor skills, you'll lose them. So if you train to take your handcuffs out, no matter what, when you get into that situation, even if you told yourself not to, you're going to take your handcuffs out and you're going to go. And here's the problem. When you take those handcuffs out, you take your handcuffs out with your dominant hand. So here your dominant hand is occupied. 
and your non-dominant hand, your weak hand, is the hand that makes contact with the person. So from a, a, from a, an expert point of view, when I consider ourselves an expert point of view, and from my, my experience, it's completely inadequate. So I had to re-engineer and reteach my people that, and made, I made them do it constantly, that you get the people in a position that they're ready to be handcuffed, and then you retract your cuffs and place them on. Because I, right, I'm a firm believer that, hey, two hands are better than one. Yeah, 100%. I mean, at, at the time you're taking it out, there's, it's only two versus one, right? And and I don't think the public understands. We're not here as police officers to have a fair fight. I don't want to have a fair fight. You don't need to see how tough John McCary is or how tough Eric Dim is. You don't need to see that, and you don't want to see that. Because if you see that, it's going to look very brutal, right? So I want to – we. So our goal is to outnumber, outnumber these th- these individuals by a lot to to keep that individual safe. Um, if I'm taking out my handcuffs and there's only two of us and we have a non-compliant individual, I mean, there's a great chance that my handcuffs are now going to turn into brass knuckles because I, I like Eric saying, I just gave away my dominant hand. I just gave away my dominant hand, and I always believe that like you. I don't want handcuffs out until someone's hands are behind their back, ready to be handcuffed. Um, and I, I, I couldn't agree more. The only time and the only scenario I would say get your cuffs out when someone's not ready is when we have multiple individuals, multiple police officers on top of that individual, putting, taking his hands, each, each side of his hands. And placing them together for you to rush in and to cuff them. And but you'll be told that somebody will direct you, either your sergeant, your lieutenant, one of the stronger cops on the scene. Hey, cuff them, get your handcuffs out. You know, until that 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 time happens, you know, it's only two of you. You have to gain compliance. You have to have the suspect. You have to have him gain compliance. And how are you going to do that? Listen, right then and there, the minute he punched. The minute he punched that cop in the face, and that, and I believe that that cop was holding onto his leg to to try to slow him down so that his partner had had somewhat of an advantage, right? His partner had somewhat of an advantage. I don't know if that's true. That's what it looks like to me because he put himself in such a vulnerable position. Um, I would have never put myself in that position. I would if I did try to take a leg down, I would have did it with one hand and I would have kept one hand free so I could continue to strike. I wouldn't, I would have never put myself in that situation, but he does that. I believe to, to give his partner a fighting chance. And then he starts taking open shots to the face. And at that point, it was really on the guy who was not holding on to the leg, to the police officer not holding on to, to that suspect, to really intervene at that point. Like, what, 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 what do you think? What do you think he should have did at that point? The minute the minute the perpetrator starts throwing open shots at the guy, the guy puts himself in a vulnerable spot. He's there. He's holding the leg. They're on a staircase. I mean, you obviously don't want the perpetrator to die, so you're not going to rush over and smack his head and send them flying. But you might. I mean, what, what do you think? I'm a huge fan of Mike Tyson and his former, tra- former trainer, May Rest in Peace, uh, Customato. And Customato used to uh, give this frame of mind to Mike Tyson. He used to talk about fear. And what he built and why Mike Tyson was so effective, obviously, he's a physical specimen. But in addition to that, he created this mindset. And he told him, listen, fear is your friend. Fear is that thing that keeps you safe. Fear is that thing that tells you how to stay sharp. And fear is that thing that tells you what to do correctly. And here I see this cop, and I see the fear on him. 
And, and that's okay. That's normal. We all feel that. We all feel that that emotion. And that's what I'm trying to tell the public. We're humans. And you see the cop. I, I see the fear because you see he has distance. And you can see the way he's putting his arms out. He's trying not to engage him in close proximity because of that fear. And it's okay to feel, feel fear. But here's the problem. He clearly from this video, as I watch it, he has not received proper training. And, uh, and a video or a one eight-hour course for an entire year is just not enough. Jocko Wilmick said it best. We need to train 20% of the time. So I say to this young cop out there, I'm not trying to knock you. I want to see you safe. And it's okay to be afraid. I've been afraid many times. In every arrest situation, I've been afraid. But what I feel has helped me was I always took part in boxing, jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai, some type of martial arts, martial arts on my own time where I was pressure tested and I got comfortable with being in close proximity to my adversaries. Where I, I, I did it in a gym and I sweated out in training so that, God forbid, I don't bleed in a real-life situation. And that's what we need to do. Hey, listen, I know it costs money, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And I say to this young cop, go out there, go to one of lo your local schools, partake in some Muay Thai, boxing, jiu-jitsu, whatever the case, just so that you get pressure tested so you get comfortable with the uncomfortable. I'm not trying to knock you, but I want your safety. And the oomph wasn't there. In addition to that, I'm sure part of that is also the climate. He didn't retract anything from his belt. He didn't take out his magic potion. That the, the, but in this particular case, this is what I've been trying to tell the public, the taser would not be effective. They're way too close proximity. If those darts make contact, it's only going to incapacitate a part. We see this particular adversary. He's strong. He's young, strapping young man. Uh, it looks like he's probably about six foot two. He's, he's very lean. He's built. And he's... He's ready to do some damage, clearly. Um, in addition to that, I just think these young cops are not prepared, mentally and physically. And it's really sad. I would love to help them. And, and they were fortunate that this particular perpetrator made the decision to give up his hands. I, I don't know why at that point he, he did make that decision, but he did. And, and this could have been far worse. No, absolutely. That could have. People, again, like I said, innocent people could have died. He could have died. A cop could have got killed. It, you know, death is imminent on that train platform for everybody in that scenario at that point. Um, that is causing a total <coughs> hazardous, dangerous scene. And, and I agree with you. I mean, I think there's a lack of training in the department. The leadership in the department is not, is not giving the, the clear the clear message to to the police officer that hey listen we want you to come home safe we want you to we want you to keep the public safe you know we want you to use the tools that you have when when necessary the problem is they don't give them any tools like we just said you know the training to fight with a violent perpetrator starts off with an individual laying on his stomach with his hands behind his back it's great it's awesome how the hell do we get them there? How does it happen? And now you got these kids, you know, they, they don't look like they have that much time on the job. Maybe they have seven, eight years. They've only been in the Bill de Blasio era style of policing. And they're afraid. They're afraid to make a motion. It could be two things. Like I said, it could be the lack of training. But it also appears that, you know, they know they're getting videoed. They know that every split second of that video will be critiqued. Again, then and then. Here we are, and here we are doing it to them, but we're doing it to help. We're not doing it there to say, hey, 
look at uh look look at this idiot this is that without any solutions and that's my problem with all of these anti-police people all of this cop watch look I invited Cop Watch to come on, sit down and talk to you. We, we could talk things. They don't come on, right? I invited uh, council members to come on here. All these anti-cop council members, they won't come on here because they don't want a solution. We're going to sit here. We're going to tell you our opinion. You're going to hear two talking heads. This is what we turned into in retirement because I'm sitting <laughs> home and I'm talking about it anyway. And you guys and girls are in the car talking about it anyway. And, and you're talking about it anyway and you're saying this is but we're going to offer solutions too. And the solution there, honestly, is to deploy violence. It is. To me, the minute that kid punched my partner in the face, I am open striking him in the face with a close hand numerous times until he puts his hands behind his back. I'm going to drive him down to the staircase, and we're going to get on top of him and hold him down and, and handcuff him. The guy gives up. Thank, thankfully, the perpetrator put his hands behind his back and allowed the officer to handcuff him. And even at that scenario, they still didn't have him under control. I, I, and, and it's just it, it's scary to watch them walk him back down onto the train platform when they really have no control. You see the partner goes off to the, the train to back, back to the train cab, leaves it, leaves the first partner, leaves his, the partner who's holding the perpetrator, the handcuffed perpetrator. It just, it just, it goes wrong. And then, and then you see 20, 30 cops there and everybody yelling, Oh, why, why should, why do we need 20, 30 cops? It's one guy. I, I think you need 20, 30. I, I, the, the way that things are going now, we, we used to not need 20, 30 cops. The way things are going now, the lack of respect for the police, the, 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 the way we're seeing the public step into police activity and get close to police officers as they're trying to uh, subdue a perpetrator. That the, By the way, the public has no idea why they're being arrested. Either do we at this point, right? Uh- Stay out of it. You want to videotape, videotape, step back and videotape. Do not interfere in a fight. I, you don't know what's going on. This guy will have his day in court. If, hey, if the cops do something that day, they're going to jail. You have it on video, you know, and I'm not saying watch someone get killed. But like we haven't seen we haven't seen any videos where NYPD cops have murdered someone. I'm sorry, like Eric Garner. We did not watch anybody murder him. He was on the floor saying, I can't breathe handcuffed while an ambulance was being called. You know, you want you want to talk about that they weren't giving him chest compressions? Okay, I wouldn't give chest compressions either while someone's telling me they can't breathe. So, you know, we have not seen that in the NYPD at all. So, you know, there's really, there's, what you're doing is you're being an observant citizen, but stay out of the way. Step out. Um, again, it's, it's a train platform. It's dangerous. Their level of force should have been raised specifically now what 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 do you you believe you would have done in that situation your partner's on on the male's leg he's on his right leg he's vulnerable (laughs) you're on a staircase you're on a staircase the perpetrator's back is to the train platform you're going you're you're standing with your back so you're, you're not really steady you're up on you're up and now you're going back down towards the train platform with the perpetrator who's striking your partner, what would you do? What do, what do you believe you would do in that scenario? What do you believe is the best option? The first thing I would do is go to my office and get my ninth set of charges from CCRB for the year. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed. And what would those charges read? What, what, uh, what allegations would you be receiving after this? Definitely I would be substantiated for excessive force. Not unnecessary. I'd be substantiated for excessive force. Definitely abuse of authority. 
for threatening to arrest or giving a warning. And definitely offensive language. Because I would say, get the fuck back. Get the fuck down. Stop fucking resisting. Absolutely. At that point, and you said it, it's, it's, it's ugly. But sometimes violence has to meet violence. It's necessary. And you're wearing the perfect shirt right now. It says lions. Lions can't be lambs. Lions, not cheap, baby. Lions, that's, not cheap. That's the reality. You know, we need, and I think that's the part that's really convoluted. These guys get confused with this neighborhood coordination officer. It's kind of confusing. Well, hey, I'm going out there and I'm, I'm having ice cream. I'm taking pictures with the kids. But the next day I have to go out and be a warrior. We, we really need to uh, make a definitive line here so these cops understand you need to be a warrior because you have to protect yourself. So we talked about this. This is the unfortunate part is that the cops are extremely reactive. So, John, do you know what the, the OODA loop is? This is where I used to train my guys. The OODA you know loop? About, I remember OODA the OODA loop, loop, but I don't remember the, uh, the, the acronym. I don't remember what it's for. Go ahead. Give it to us. So for the public to really understand, I learned this actually back when I was in the Marine Corps. And I remember they talked about it in, in the police department, but they should have talked about it even more. And I would preach to my cops constantly. What the OODA loop is, it stands for O O. And what it means is observe, orient, decide. This is what goes on through your head the entire day. When something as simple as you're going to go eat the sandwich, you observe your sandwich, you orient, hey, the sandwich is in front of me, you decide I'm going to eat it, and you do it. And, and, and this may seem so simple, but it's the same thing. that In this particular situation, I'm pretty confident that if you and I were working together, and if you made that approach by grabbing his leg, that at that point, I would want to break the perpetrator's OODA loop, right? At that point, it's obvious to me, he observed the situation, he oriented himself, and he decided he was going to flee, and if he decided that he was going to act violently. And at that point, I would be prepared, I would be getting my next civilian complaint substantiated, because immediately when I saw that he grabbed, I'm sorry, if you had grabbed his leg in that manner, and he was not complying, immediately and I can see that jaw dropping, his fist start to clench. I can see, I can see his chest start to protrude because he was ready for battle. Immediately, I would strike him to the face several times until he brought himself to the ground so that you and I could now have the compliant perp that is on the video. So I would then be facing my ninth set of charges because the Civilian Complaint Review Board would not understand the proactive nature of me making that OODA decision, that breaking his OODA loop. And uh, this where the problem lies. Now, in this particular case, the cops are reactive. They're already waiting. I mean, we're fortunate that this particular cop had the fortitude to stay conscious and to stay in the game because he was being punched several times to the head. And you, you asked me a couple more punches, you probably would have been unconscious or at least substating uh, some type of, of head injury. And the other cop was not prepared to take that uh, adversary by himself. And again, I say to the public, this is not one person. This is an entire incident. And I'm a firm believer it does take 30 cops in that particular situation to keep those particular cops safe. And even this perpetrator, the, the way that he was fighting, if this could have got dragged down to the platform, he could have fell down himself. You know, And, and the same token, the public loves these good Samaritans. Where are the good Samaritans in this particular case helping these police officers? Yeah. 
I no, mean, I, I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't want people to intervene in, in that scenario. If I'm in that scenario, if it's me and you, I don't want anyone to intervene unless we're obviously losing. I mean, the cops are obviously losing in this scenario. <laughs> um, but, you know, again, I, I think the major problem is, right, like, you, you know, we, are, we already said the best way to take someone down, take their head, and the body goes. Absolutely. But cops can't do it. So they're left with my next option is, all right, I'm going to strike them in the face or I'm going to I'm going to do this or I'm going to mace them or I'm going to do this. Now, you're, you're not macing on that train platform or else you're you're getting maced. You're macing innocent bystanders. You're not macing on that train platform. I'm not macing on that train platform. I don't want the mace to come out and 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 in, incapacitate me or my partner, which is very likely in that scenario. You know, yes, it's it's you know, it's very likely. And now we got a big problem. If I can't see and I can't breathe, there's a big, big problem. And you have a violent perpetrator and maybe the mace won't work on him. Uh, Mace in some scenarios, I've been maced several times. If my adrenaline is flowing because I feel fear and when I feel fear, I am yelling and cursing and screaming and, you know, and you could talk to any of my men and women, you know, I'm yelling at everyone, I'm barking orders and I'm fighting with someone and I'm yelling at the, at the perpetrator or my adversary, um, you know, and when, you know, and, in that scenario, I've, I've been maced and until that scenario was over, I didn't realize I was maced because my adrenaline came down and then all of a sudden I felt my lips burning, my face burning my eyes burning. And next thing I know, I was down on the ground screaming, ah, trying to rip my contacts out. It didn't, it took a while. It took minutes for it to get to me because my adrenaline overrode it. And that's very possible with, you could clearly see the perpetrator's adrenaline's flowing. So are both of the cops, but in some scenarios I've been maced and I felt it right away. And in other scenarios I've been maced and it hadn't affected me until minutes later. So it, it depends how it, it depends how it happens. I don't believe that's an effective tool. Just like the, just like we said with that with the taser, it's fifty percent effective. You're at a close distance right there. You could possibly get a prong in your partner, um, you know, and you don't want to do that either. Um, I don't believe the effect. I don't believe the taser is an effective tool. I've seen it work sometimes, very few. I've seen it work less than fifty percent of the time. Whenever it's been deployed with me, I do believe at that scenario, that's that's it. Yeah, I mean, we we took away the ability to take someone down from their head. If those cops would have took them down from their head immediately. They know their front cover of the paper. They are going to be on New York One. Errol Lewis is going to be talking about how they choked somebody. <laughs> Everybody's going to be talking about, oh, these cops choked somebody. So your only option in that scenario, really, you're on the staircase, is to open strike him. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous for the perpetrator. But you have to bring that scenario to a successful, successful conclusion, and they did not. The perpetrator did. He backed off for whatever reason. I don't know if, if sense came to him and he realized all these people around me and they're going to see what's going on. I don't know why he did that, but thankfully he did, but I don't believe that the police brought that scenario to a, su- a successful conclusion. And, and I, think, yeah. scenario. I think I think from the video clip that I watched, I think the reason why he finally gave up, I think he heard the cavalry coming. At that point, he made the decision, okay, now I'm not just dealing with these two cops anymore because he probably heard the stampede of the cops coming down the stairs. That's that's my best true. Very uh, expert. True. 
Very analytical true. decision. But can we please talk about the buzzword? Because I love to ask CCRB out there. Because like I said, I'd be getting my ninth substantiated set of charges for 2022. And Jose LaSalle, I hope that you're out there listening to this. Because this is important information for you to pass on to the community. What would you do? And I, I would love to talk about the, the buzzword that everyone loves, especially CCRB, Jose LaSalle, de-escalation. How do we de-escalate this? John, can you tell me? Yeah, I know how you de-escalate it. The minute I approach that guy and he knows that I'm not full of shit and he knows that if he does raise his hands to me, I'm going to strike him in the face. That if I do tell him something and he doesn't do it, I'm going to lock him up. That's the only de-escalation. But once he's made the scenario, once he's made the decision that I'm not a threat to him or he could defeat me, there is no further any de-escalation. Now it's let's prove it. You know, um, and, and again, when we're when we're sending out timid cops who aren't trained, who don't know a clear message, who have no formal leadership and don't feel that their leadership is going to back them. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. If I take the guy down by his head, they're going to say I choked him. If we have cops that are worried about going to jail and losing their job for doing their job and doing a job we're not even training them to do anymore then obviously you're, you're, you're walking into a, a scenario where people are full of shit. You know, I'll go back to the one two precinct. I was a rookie. When I was a rookie, there were cops, and the, the overwhelming majority of the public believed us. I was a rookie. I had less than three months on. I go to a barbecue. I get, I get sent to a barbecue by a 311 job. Sergeant on the desk call says, go over to 160 Park Hill in the back of 160 Park Hill. For those of you who are familiar with Wu-Tang, shout well, out I to remember the 162. You know, um, <laughs> I, I go, it's, it's, it's me and uh, I'll, just put, I'll just reference him as Zim. T. Zim. He's uh, still active. He's not on the NYPD. He's on a different agency, but he's still active law enforcement officer. He's a little guy. Good I'm man, little, by the way. Yeah, good, guy, good dude. You know, he's a little dude. You know, he's a little guy. He's probably like 5'7", 140. I'm, I always worked out, but I'm still a little guy. I'm 5'9". I'm probably 200. We go to a, we go to a barbecue. There's 150 people at this barbecue. I tell I, I walk up to the, to, to the people with the radio on. I'm like, listen, guys, you got to break it up. It's late. Go somewhere else. Go in the woods. Get out of here. I'll never forget. The guy says to me, big dude, he steps up to me. He says, what are you going to do? What are you two little motherfuckers going to do? I'm like, me? I was like, me? I'm not going to do nothing. I said, I'm going to get on the radio. I'm going to fucking call, and I'm going to say I'm being threatened by 100 people right now. There's going to be two helicopters up here. There's going to be 50 cop cars here in 0.2 seconds, and you're all going to fucking jail. And he looked at me, and he knew I wasn't full of shit, and he knew that's exactly what happened. They would all got locked up, spent the night, at least a night in jail, maybe the whole weekend because <laughs> it was a Friday night. And he looked at me, and he goes, nah, you're right. NYPD, biggest gang in the city. I'm out. He goes, come on, let's break it up. And they bounced. They shut the radio off. I don't know where they went. They went somewhere else. But at that time, the de-escalation was peace through strength. And we were a strong department. People knew we weren't full of shit. When we used to go to scenarios, and there was a calming effect. I would show up at a scenario. Someone's shot. Someone's stabbed. Someone's dead. I would show up there, get out of the car, and calm would come over that scenario. Now what we're seeing is the police show up and the scenarios get crazier. You know, we lost that presence. We lost the strength. And everyone knows it and everyone's seeing it. And every video we're seeing this, we're seeing this. We need, like you said, 
you know, we went to, you know, the police department. We don't want warriors. We want guardians. I don't know what the fuck that means. I really don't. <laughs> I really don't know what the fuck that means. Like evil needs to be brought down through strength. You know, we're not out here beating people up for no reason. We're here to keep societal norms. When you break outside of that societal norm, yes, there should be consequences. Yes, maybe you spend the night in jail. You know, right now we're saying, no, whatever you want to do, don't worry, but just do whatever you want to do. And this is where we're, where we're losing. You know, we're losing. Uh, I believe in that scenario. That was a dangerous, dangerous scenario. I'm glad it came to a successful conclusion, but I don't believe it, it, that was handled properly whatsoever. It was handled properly in the fact that, Oh, and by the way, they're still going to probably end up with CCRB allegations against them. Um, just so we're aware that that those those officers will have use of force allegations against them, and which will be investigated. I don't believe in that scenario since there was no strikes thrown that they will be substantiated on any of them. But again, they will be if if they get to go to two more of those this week, they will be use of force recidivists. Um, even though they, they didn't throw one strike, you know. Um, they will start to get peppered up as well. So, John, let's talk about another. Let's talk about an, another problem. That what you said before, a night in jail. Now, I haven't had an opportunity to actually follow up on this particular case and look at the prisoner arraignment, but I'm going to assume, based on what we know, that within a few hours, this particular perpetrator was probably on his way home. Now, you and I both know from watching this small clip. We know that the public likes to believe that young black males are stopped at a disproportionate rate than, than, than white males. Now, in this particular case, just on watch this small clip, you and I know that this particular person of interest has probably been arrested several times. One, because he's extremely comfortable with the idea of trying to flee from the police. And second, he's comfortable actually fighting the police. And once he's in handcuffs, he's still verbally combative. So just from this video... I can tell you from my experience, he's probably been arrested many times. And just just from a, uh, an educated guesstimate, I would say it's probably more than 10. But how many convictions does this particular person, convictions does this particular person of interest have is questionable. And now I, I'm curious to ask the DA in this particular case, we know Eric, what is he going to do in this particular case? Is he going to charge assault on a police officer? Is he going to charge resisting arrest? I have questions, and I'm sure you do, too. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you know, again, like I said, I, I think Alvin Bragg gets all the heat. But the, the Brooklyn District Attorney, uh, Eric Gonzalez, he's been no absolutely not any better at all. Um, he's, you know, more than likely this kid, if he's offered anything, it'll be art class. It'll be art class. He's not going to face He's. I don't believe he's going to suffer any consequence for this whatsoever, nor will it be on his record. You know, obviously, if they don't prosecute, if they don't go ahead with the prosecution, they're going to go back to, oh, what was he doing? A minor crime? What's the big deal? And, you know, I think I, I, I again, I'm not trying to crush anybody for minor crimes. You know, I you know, I again, I don't believe the whole narrative that 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 black and brown kids get arrested at a higher rate because of the color of their skin. I believe they get arrested at a higher rate because they're committing crimes at a higher rate. Um, same way I had all of these things deployed on me as a young kid. I've been arrested twice for minor crimes. Um, in two scenarios, I really didn't even deserve to get arrested other than the fact I was in the wrong place and I was hanging out with the wrong people. So I always put that on myself. I said, you know what? 
I still wasn't doing the right thing. And, and my parent, my father explained that to me, my, me too, as a young child. He's like, listen, you're a young kid. You're working out. I, and my father didn't like cops. My father did not like cops. He did never had a good interaction with them his whole life. Um, he respected them, though. And he always told me, listen, these guys are out there. They're doing their job. They're afraid. Just listen to them. Just listen to them or they're going to fucking shoot you. You're, you're all big kids. You're all working out. Keep your fucking mouth shut and, and, and everything will come to a successful conclusion. And, and, and again, like I said, I was arrested twice. I went to court, spent a weekend in jail. I had my day in court and the judge basically gave me nothing because I did nothing, you know. And but what happened that night? I wasn't out there with 50 kids. We weren't stabbing or shooting each other or making noise. The, the community slept. Um, you know, the parks were clean. There wasn't litter for the kids to play the next morning. So I believe in all in all of these things. Um, but a night in jail has been taken away. Like a night in jail is the greatest is the greatest. It's the greatest lesson you could ever learn as a youth. And it's a greatest deterrent of criminal behavior and resistance of the police. One night in jail. I've got it's been said to me a couple of times. I've now I've been I've been stopped a million times as a youth. I was always hanging out in the parks. I was always hanging out with girls, sitting around. We were drinking. I was a dumb young kid, play basketball. Who goes gets a, a 40, was sitting in the park, we're drinking, we're listening to music. The 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 sun comes down. We're in the park after dark now, right? Minor crime, right? Um, houses across the street, people trying to sleep, who's got work the next morning, um, you know, summertime. Uh cops came in here and Maybe at that moment in time, I'm only in the park after dark and I'm not doing anything else. And now I start to mouth off. And the cop said to me, you like Friday night? You like Saturday night? And I shut right up because I knew that he was going to lock me up for this minor crime. I was going to spend a night in jail. I was going to spend the night in jail and my whole weekend was going to be ruined. What was going to happen to my record? Was that ever going to deter me from getting employment down the road? No. But you know what that was doing? That was deterring me from being an asshole that day, sitting in the park all night, breaking the law all night, keeping up all my neighbors, keeping the, making, you know, they would leave. And then the park's going to be dirty. There's going to be 40 bottles everywhere. There's going to be uh, whatever else is going on now, whatever else these kids are doing now. Now we have fentanyl. We have heroin. We have marijuana being used. Um, night in jail needs to come back. Oh, this is great. We say, you know, I want to go back and revert to something that I used to do with my with my guys when I was a special operations lieutenant, when I was an anti-crime sergeant, even when I was a cop. I used to try to say, how each day, what type of ditty could I have? Or I used to try to come up with something symbolic of police work and how it was metaphoric for life. Something that would stick in their heads because I always felt that it's important that we're training on hands and that it converts to your life. Because I believe in more of mindset than actually the practicality of what we do. Because mindset with me is the most important thing. I used to say, even, even in that interaction, we watched that video, to me, 90% of that is actually a mental mental warfare. And the actual physical contact that happens, it's about 10% of it. So what I used to tell, and, and I watched this video, and, and I want to point out the second cop in particular. The first, the first police officer grabs a leg, and he's, like you said, I think he was kind of waiting for his partner to assist him. I do believe he was kind of trying to do a single leg takedown, just didn't have the training. I don't think he ever actually tried it. And these are one of the things you have to do it over and over until you actually know how to do it. Now, 
I used to tell my cops this, and I watched the second cop. He was kind of not engaging him in close proximity. His feet were kind of backpedaling as that particular perpetrator, as face went forward, he sees his jaws clenching. Now, I used to tell my cops, listen, this is very important, particularly when you go into a barbecue, like you said, when you approach and you have an encounter, it's a mindset. And the adversary, a perpetrator, person of interest, has to sense that off you, just how dogs sense when someone's scared of them. And, and what I used to say is, that, listen, you always have to be on your toes. If you're backing up and you're on your heels, there's a problem. You need to push forward on your, to- your toes because when you're on your heels, you're off balance. You can be taken down. So I said, you always have to be on your toes when you're in an encounter. You should always be on your toes when you're in an encounter, and you should always be on your toes for life. I always thought that was metaphoric. So in that particular video, as I watched, the cop is kind of backpedaling instead of pushing forward on his toes. Why? I think it's a lack of training. 100% it goes because we don't train that middle ground of that person in the violent struggle. It's second. It's the climate. It's the video. So he's questioning himself. At that point, confidence brings, brings, breeds confidence. So he's lacking confidence at that point and confidence of, hey, which action should I take? Look, he never he never deploys anything on his belt, right? There's all kinds of tools. That's a tool belt. You have your firearm. You have your taser. You have your baton. You have your mace. And I, your pepper spray. I'm a firm believer that all those tools, including the cuffs, were not applicable at that point. What would be appropriate at that point, the tools, were him engaging with his hands and his mindset, being mentally prepared. He was not mentally prepared for that kind of battle. The job is not preparing him. The job wants him, would rather him coddle people and give out ice cream. It's unfortunate in this particular case because they're not prepared. They probably were better off just letting him run. And like you said, if they would have taken the proactive action, they would have been facing civilian complaint review board. They probably still are, right? And what also is getting generated out of this, you and I talked about it, a TRI, a trial report, right? The force that was used on the perp of, of grappling with him. The force that the perp used on the cop. So here, you ask me, these cops are kind of victims of lacking training and also the climate, but yet they're generating a, a report that documents that they use force. Yep. <laughs> and absolutely, you know, the force no. wasn't appropriate. Absolutely, and and just if anyone can answer me, anybody in the in the, that's new to the academy, do they still train the interview stance? Um, that's a question I have because I look at a lot of you young guys and I don't see you in the interview stance. And I'm going to describe the interview stance to you. You walk up to someone and approach them for any reason. And by the way, I still talk to everybody like this. I talk to my friends like this. I talk to my family like this because I've just done it so many times. And it, it, it honestly, it keeps you safe. And if you ever watch The Sopranos and you watch uh, Paulie with the hair, he always has his hands in front of him. And as he's talking to him, and he kind of always does the interview stance. And the interview stance is my, my weak legs forward, just almost like I'm boxing, right? My, le- my weak legs forward towards the person that I'm speaking to. My left hand and my right hand are up, ready. I'm talking to you with my hands so that my hands are up so that if you go to strike me, I already could block or counter and throw you a punch. And my right leg is back ready to shift my weight in whatever direction I need to go. Um, so I'm already, I, I think we call it an interview stance, but it, it is an intimidating stance. And the reason that is, is you know I'm ready to go. I'm coming up to you with my fist clenched, covered by my left hand, and I'm asking you, hello, sir. Hello, ma'am. How can I help you today? 
What, what's going on? Is there anything? Sir, do me a favor. Take your hands out of your pocket. Boba, you already know from my approach that I am ready to fight if I need to, even though I'm not approaching you in that way, but my approach is aggressive. And I need to know if that stance is still being trained because I'm telling you right now, I see all of these videos. I watch these guys out in the street and I see them with their completely exposed, completely exposed to the public, two feet, shoulder width apart, standing straight at the perpetrator or just anyone that they're interacting with, including myself. And I, I like, Again, I, I always do this. You know, I, I'm, I'm in Florida now. I'm, I went to the park the other day, and I, and I spoke to some, a guy and his wife, and uh, my wife spoke to them first. And, and when I talked, I was like, oh, nice to meet you, you know, whatever. They said, oh, I thought you were her bodyguard. I thought you were her bodyguard. And I, I like, it took me by surprise. I was like, because, you know, I had no ill intention. And I said, oh, is, it's the way I stand? Is it the way I stand? And he goes, yeah, you stand in an intimidating manner. And I'm like, well, I was a cop for a long time. I said, you know, we're trained to do this. If you do come at me, I'm already ready. I said, but I didn't mean to, to do that. You know, I apologize if, if you, you took it the wrong way. And I, I, I feel like as we're going towards we believe what these progressive politicians are telling us, they're trying to say that cops should never be intimidating. And I'm saying cops should always be intimidating. Well, I, John, I, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Back to us talking about, and you and I know both a big fans of Jocko Willman. Jocko Willman always talks about the type of people that become prey and victims to potential perpetrators that are out there casing people. And what do they look for? They look for the way people walk, the way people stand. And yes, that's really important, the way a cop stands. I'm a firm believer. I still, to this day, I preach the interview stance. I also teach it to the auxiliary. I used to volunteer. I would teach auxiliary cops which the public knows they're the cops that volunteer their time with no firearm. And I would teach Explorer program. And so that these kids have situational awareness. I even teach my friends and some call it the interview stance, which I, and I also refer to it as uh, in, in the martial arts world is called indexing. And I'm a firm believer that this is a very important stance, whether you're a cop or not a cop, because that stance also creates a vision for people. And it's, it's an aura that, hey, this is my personal space and that I'm prepared. And, it's, and, and at the same point, I do believe that is a part of de-escalation and it's also a show of force. It's twofold. And the reason being is when I'm in that interview stance and indexing, I'm going to go one step even further. I used to always teach my personnel is that when you're in this interview stance, that your hands always have to be higher than the adversary or potential perpetrator or just someone that you're in a conversation with. Reason being is, your hands should be higher because if they do deploy some type of strike or they try to push you, your hands can overcome resistance. You want your hands above this. So I would always get perturbed when I would see these young cops with their hands in their pockets or the cops would hold on to their vest. And I think that would become pure laziness. Yes, they want their hands ready, but they would have it on their vest and it's pure laziness. Uh, and it's an unfortunate. This is something that we constantly need to preach. This training is valuable. That show of force on it alone just that interview stance may be enough to prevent an encounter like these particular cops had where they're getting assaulted because now that person of interest has to question, wow, this person has created their own personal stance. They're at the alert. They're at the ready. If I do engage them, am I going to be their victim? Am I going to be hurt? Violence has to be met with violence and the cops have to be prepared. When your body is square and it's open, 
there have been studies shown that you're actually making yourself a target. And there's actually been a study also that when people engage, you would, you and I would see, uh, if we watch some of these videos of these, these high school potential fights and when they start to get in each other's faces, when we would see people start rubbing their neck, you ever see that when people engage in a conversation, they start rubbing their neck? There's a reason for that. There's a psychology because the, wet, the, the, the neck is actually a weak point. They did a study on this with dogs. And when someone does that, it's letting people know I'm ready and I'm protecting myself. So it's the same thing. When a cop's hands are in that interview stance, it's letting you know, hey, I'm calm. We can engage to a conversation, but my hands are ready. And that's a show of force. And we need to bring that back. But the Civilian Complete Review Board is tearing that down. The cops are timid to show any type of force. Myself in particular, I've been hit with threat of arrest or just the person feeling intimidated for the hands being up, for being in that position. But we need that. That's the first show of force that is a presence. The police department has put in the patrol guide a use of force, and you've probably seen it. It's a wheel. It's called the use of force continuum. And most of it talks about mindset and presence. But what it doesn't talk about is taking action. We need to take action. I, I agree. I agree. I mean, presence is huge. But not according to our, our city council people, you know, in New York City. I saw uh, recently a uh, council member. Today's October 13th. Today's October 13th. Let's, let's just back up. Today's October 13th. We're, we're doing this. Um, in the last, I believe, 13 days, there's been three people savagely murdered on New York City transit by way of a, of a knife. All right. So let's just let's just back up with that. Um, Last night, we see Errol Lewis. Two nights ago, Errol Lewis posts uh, on Twitter. He posts a video of him taking the subway home. And he goes, oh, look, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's such a violent place, the New York City transit. Look at this. And then you have city council member Tiffany Caban following up on that. Subway violence is a one in a million incident. <laughs> As a believer in a violence-free New York City, she's also a believer in, in abolishing the police department, by the way. I still think that that's one too many, but let's not let fear mongering politicians and corporate media outlets scare us into thinking we have a dangerous and scary public transit system. Eric, how many people do you know take the train and does anyone feel that the train is not a scary place anymore? Oh, I'm so glad you said it. My mother, she still lives in Brooklyn. She loves it. She always says, I laugh all the time. Like, mom, listen, you got to go out. Don't try to live somewhere else in your old age. She goes, now I'm a New York girl. And with being a New York girl, she loves to ride the subways, the buses. But we've spoken in the past six six months, my mother will not get on the subway. She says it's a scary place. She sees the change and she's terrified. But she's smart. She knows this is not the time to take the subway. It's a scary place. If two police officers can get attacked, then what's going to happen to some elderly person? Some young children, they're not safe. And for Tiffany Caban to, you know, what happened to integrity from our politicians? For Tiffany Caban to say it's a one in a million chance is completely dishonest to the public. And we don't have to go and get raw numbers and we don't even have to get factual numbers. Thank God to today's era, we have YouTube, we have all kinds of TikToks, and we could just probably, you and I could surf the web. And in the past 13 days, we'll see numerous videos, YouTube videos of wild stuff that goes on in transit system it just beyond belief i mean I, I, right now i'm doing some traveling and i talk to people and they're like 
wow, what's going on in New York is just total lunacy. And they watch the videos. We all see the videos. How could I, I ask you, Miss Caban, how can you put out this information? How do you lie to the people? How can you tell them it's fear mongering? Don't you want to keep them safe? Let's tell them the truth. This is completely dishonest. Yeah, and then and then to and then to top it off, to top it off, she goes around, she has her people go around to the businesses in her district and tell the businesses not to call 911 or the police department. She sends out flyers. Don't call the police department if somebody's acting. Give them some time to calm down. If someone's acting irrationally, we don't want to spark violence. Basically saying that when we get there, the situation's violent, which clearly it's not. I mean, we're seeing what our cops are doing out there, and they're not really deploying violence at this point when necessary. And it's scary. And we're seeing an uptick in crime because of that, because there's no consequences at all. There's not consequences that in, in that second on the scene, and there's not consequences after that scene. So obviously, crime is on an uptick. So she goes around. She has her people send this to all the local businesses. And then in, in true, true cowardly fashion, she receives threats at her office. Somebody calls up. I don't know what the exact threat that's made. And what does she do? She calls 911, right? <laughs> calls 911. And I'm sure she wants that brought to a successful conclusion right now. She wanted the police stand there right then and there right now. I want these perpetrators arrested. I want them brought. I want the book thrown at them. I want them to go to jail. This coming from a person who wants to tear down Rikers Island, free them all and abolish the police department. That's and Tiffany, if you're listening, you're always invited on any day of the week. I'll drop whatever I'm doing. Come on here. Have a real conversation. I know you won't because you can't. Because you can't. Because it's all a lie. It's all lies. It's all lies. Since you mentioned it, uh, I just want to say for anyone that's actually a correctional officer, particularly at Rikers Island right now, my heart goes out to you. I want to thank you for what you guys do. That is a wild, that is an extremely difficult job. The city's not helping you. So for the correctional officers that are out there doing the job every day right now, I want to thank you for what you guys do. Sometimes they really don't get the credit that they deserve. Uh, in, in regard to that, complete, unaccountable, and irresponsible for Tiffany Caban to make statements as such and to utilize 911 for her personal means, but yet, yet she's she her a- adverse consequence for the public is not to utilize 911. Let's let's have some social justice warriors. I'm sorry. Let's de-escalate by giving people time because we spark violence. <laughs> the irony is is crazy, and, and the hypocrisy of this is is wild. But here we go. November's coming. We have elections, so it's an opportunity. And I hope that people will listen to this, and you can make clear and sound decisions. But the problem with New York City habitually is that enough people don't get out to vote. I don't think that it's that our people are unintelligent and voting. Yeah, the wrong politicians in. It's just not enough people are getting out to vote. Maybe it's because we're in such a high volume metropolis and people are just so busy to work and they don't have the opportunity to get out there and vote. But that day to sacrifice from work to get out there and vote is extremely important. We need your vote. We need to change legislation. We need help. And I, it's ironic. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that. So it's unfortunate, but the subway homicides that we've had recently have all been away by way of knife. Not even way about a firearm, but what is the topic of this discussion that is sidelining people's perception? It's all the talk of firearms. John, could you elaborate on this, please? 
Oh uh, yeah, let's let's uh, let's. Uh, so the <laughs> huge, huge talk right now from Mayor Eric Adams on the gun industry, on how much money the gun industry makes. He doesn't care about the pharmaceutical industry. He's only concerned with how much the gun industry uh, makes and. What he's doing currently in New York City and even in New York State with Governor Kathy Hochul, what they're doing is restricting legal gun owners. Supreme Court ruled six weeks after the Buffalo shooting, they uh, six weeks after the Buffalo supermarket shooting where a young man, and I don't know the whole details on that, and that whole thing's still very questionable to me, and I don't know who's doing that investigation, but shame on you, because this should already have been pulled out to the public, everything that happened there, but this young man goes in with a firearm, murders innocent people, um, uh, our politicians use that as a gun grab to go to go against legal gun owners, right, in New York City, when 0% of, of New York City gun violence is committed by legal gun owners, 0%. So they, they go on the attack with that. Supreme Court rules that New York City's laws are way too strict and are, and are unconstitutional. So in response to the Supreme Court ruling that, now Governor Kathy Hochul and Eric Adams, who is legitimately and was a terrible cop and is doing a terrible job as mayor his his rule now is in times square in times square specifically he makes it a gun free zone so on four two and seven if you're a legal gun owner if you own a business you've never been convicted of anything you go in there believe me i don't know how they're going to search you how they're going to determine that you have a gun are they going to do a mass surveillance program with, with cameras, which is, again, unconstitutional, which is now, instead of stop, question, and frisk on criminals, is stop, question, and frisk on everyone that walks by. So if, if anyone that, that, that's in support of these cameras, you're, again, going against, you're going against search and seizure law, you're going against all of this stuff. But now you're going to be charged to the fullest extent of the law in order to stop, in order to stop violent gun gun violence only legal gun owners are going to be prosecuted because clearly we're seeing that people who are using illegal firearms are not being prosecuted even when they're arrested even after they use it even after they shoot someone the only time we're seeing prosecution is when someone's dead that is it john you did anti-crime i did anti-crime for most of my career i'm going to ask you a question i'm curious how many legal gun owners have you arrested doing anti-crime for committing a robbery or a burglary with that firearm? Yeah. How many? Uh, zero. Less than zero. <laughs> Less I than zero. And we've, I have a locked up, I have locked up legal gun owners, but not for violent street crime. You know, for like, I've locked like on patrol for domestic abuse, stuff like that. Never for violent street crime. Not one time. Not one time. That's the message I would like to get out to the public. So we've heard this, these sideshows in, in response to Mayor Eric Adams, and I've heard them talk about the concerns that they have with legal gun owners being in possession of firearms in the confines of New York City. And I have to be honest with you, that is not on my radar. I did anti-crime work as a police officer, sergeant, lieutenant throughout my entire career. And I can tell you in that time, I have never encountered a legal gun owner committing a street crime that would be addressed by the anti-crime unit. Never. Not my career. It's always someone that obtains that firearm illegally. 
Why? Because there's a black market for it. Hey, you're in Florida right now. If you went out, if you went out to get yourself a nine miller, nine millimeter M&P Springfield firearm, it's probably about four hundred dollars. That's probably the, the average going rate for that firearm. But in New York City, because of the black market, that firearm is going to be about twelve, fifteen hundred dollars for that particular. So we've created our market and how attractive these firearms are, and they obtain them illegally. And they, that's the problem we have: is who's in these possession of these firearms illegally? I, I do not have concern. I'm I'm pro Second Amendment. I believe we have a right to bear arms, to protect themselves, to protect ourselves. Uh, I really take part. I, I take part and blame. And it was always my mission to seek out those obtaining these firearms illegally. And we really need to address that issue. And, and everyone's concerned with firearms. And if we don't have firearms, and we can see it in places like the UK, in Australia where they don't have the firearm issue. We have mass homicides with knives, hammers, stabbings, anything. They used to say in the Marine Corps, they used to teach us one mind, any weapon. And what that means is anything, right, in, in the face of battle can be used as a weapon to save your life. Anything. That could be your car. That could be a hammer. That could be your keys. Anything can be utilized in its proper sense. And it can be used as a weapon. It's the same thing for a firearm. A firearm can be used appropriately, carried appropriately, or it could be used as a weapon. This is just one, one weapon. It's not, it's not the whole spectrum. So this ideology to take away firearms to legal gun owners in that particular area, it doesn't seem to make sense with me. It doesn't. I, I would love to see the numbers and, 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 and show us, please. You know, I, I respect the mayor. You're making a decision, but please show us the facts that correlate with that. And the reason being other than just the perception and we want to make the, 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 the public believe. When I say believe, because that's what it is. Believe they're safe. Because if anybody's in Times Square right now, I've worked Times Square many details constantly. And it looks horrendous. There's fights constantly. And I said to myself this last year, I was watching the behavioral indicators and I, I have that eye. I'm not trying to brag. And I saw so many particular presidents. I said, that guy, I'm pretty confident he has a firearm. Or that guy. And I didn't pursue it this last year because I was already facing eight sets of administrative charges from the Civilian Complaint Review Board. I wasn't sure if I was ready for nine. I mean, I know cops got nine lives. I don't think I do. <laughs> Not yet. But they don't, got nine lives. Yeah, yeah. But they don't need the facts. And and, and Holchel said that clearly. A, a, a brave reporter, actually, you know, because I, I, I haven't heard much reporting going on at all from the media, from anyone. And that's for every news outlet, conservative media, left wing media. I haven't heard anyone asking questions, but I heard this one reporter ask. And he and he said, based on what statistics are we going to have a gun free zone in New York? Like, why would we do this? Like, based on what? And she said, I don't need the statistics. I'm the governor. It's my, it's my, it's my job to keep you safe. So I'm going to do whatever I deem necessary, which is completely tyrannical, basically saying, I'm going to break the law. I don't care. You're going to do whatever I tell you, which is insane. So for any of you guys that are wondering what the hell's going on, this is our new series, 265 Police Live. Uh, I, a lot of you guys reached out to me. You loved hearing Eric. Eric loves to talk, obviously. You know, he, <laughs> he calls me all day. He's been calling me every day since we did the podcast. So we're sorry. Gonna, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna come. We're gonna bring you. We're gonna bring you live up to date news.
shows. Uh, this is going to go video very shortly. Uh, we're working out the kinks right now. We're going to bring you videos, uh, police-related videos, crime-related videos, and we're going to break them down, giving our expert analysis from people who have actually done it, not from uh, Chris Cuomo, not from Fredo, who's been up in the Hamptons all day trying to beat up old guys. You're going to hear it from real, real people who have done police work. And again, it's with a real clear eye, with a real... Real stuff that we're talking about, real dinner table conversations, not what you're seeing our police leadership get up in there, there which is a message that's approved by the mayor. Um, and we're going to bring you a lot of different stuff. We're going to break down books. We're going to do some, you know, and uh, basically just a newscast from uh, retired cops. That's that's really what it is. I'm, I'm super excited about it. This is just a little brief uh you know this is just a little brief uh synopsis of what we're gonna do and uh you know i'm looking forward to doing it with you eric and uh you know i know uh and i'm I'm sure everybody's gonna be excited to hear from you as well and uh you know i appreciate you doing it i appreciate you taking the time to do this it's, it's gonna be fun and i'm looking forward to it well you know what i i'm enjoying this i love the opportunity all i ask the public is one thing at this time just have an open mind i don't expect you to agree with john and i I know for some of you, you don't agree with the type of police work and stuff. And that's okay. But what I do ask of you is that you have an open open mind and you just listen to expert analysis and perception. And for the cops that are out there right now, we got your back. If you don't feel that you you have the, public's, uh, the public has your back right now, I can tell you what, we have your back. So we can be your voice. You got John's number. You have mine. Just text us anytime. You have something that comes to mind. We can bring it to light. We understand you're still working and there's certain things that you can't say. So we could be your voice right now. We would love to be a support beam that you need right now. We're here to help you. And for those the cops out there, for the families that are home, and they also have to deal with this rhetoric as well. I, I Listen, our heart goes out to you. We're here to support you. And, John, I thank you for this opportunity that we're doing this. Let's get this news out there. Let's help these people. Let's help the public try to understand better. And let's really help our cops that are still out there, and especially the cops that are on the fence right now and decided that they want to take this job or not. So we're here to help you. Got any questions? You know what? We're going to eventually send out a, an email link. You send us an email. We'll give you a phone number to call. And if you have any questions, we can bring it to light. So for you guys out there, thank you so much. And Civilian Complaint Review Board, thank you for giving us this opportunity to get this message out there. Jose LaSalle, you be safe out there filming my fellow brothers and sisters, all right? Thank you. Yeah, and uh, and just a message to all the anti-police rhetoric, because I've been getting a ton of it. I've been getting a ton of nasty messages, inboxes, all this crazy stuff, all this anti-police. You know, you could clearly see that me and Eric are nice guys. Uh, you're more than welcome to come on the show. Uh, we will not beat you up. You could clearly state your opinion. We will clearly state ours. We'll take turns. We'll do it in a civil manner. To date, I've asked Civilian Cop Watch, I believe, three times to come on my show, and they haven't. Uh, for members of the CCRB, uh, you're also welcome. John, if you're still in charge, you're also welcome to come on here. Uh, this is not in any way to beat anybody up. This is to make things better. Where you know, I truly believe democracy dies in the dark. I'm not for political correctness. I never believed in it. Uh, and 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 you know, and and my time in internal affairs, you could ask anybody. I was never politically correct in anything I've ever done. But people believe that I'm genuine, and I never sparked any crazy. 
uh, debate. I never sparked any crazy allegations or anything, even based off of what people would say my rhetoric is, um, because that's truly how I feel in my heart. And I believe that all of us have have a message to tell. We were given something and this is the way to do it. This is the way to go forward. Civil debate. I don't believe that I'm right about everything. I don't believe Eric's right about everything. I don't believe that Civilian Complaint Review Board's right about everything. And I don't believe that any of us are wrong about everything either. I, I believe there's a middle ground somewhere. We got to find that. And, and that's what we're, we're trying to do. We're just trying to bring some light to it. So I'm excited for it. Thank you guys for tuning in. Eric, any last words for the show? Absolutely. NYPD, especially PBA. Let's get these guys a contract. Five years out of contract. We got guys with hash marks right now that don't have a contract. I don't want to hear it anymore. I want to see these guys get a contract. They deserve it. All right. Thanks, guys. Next week.